0: Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One, I'm Ray Cannata.
1: And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network, it's neworleans.com. Tonight, we're at the Nola Brewing Tap Room in the Irish Channel.
0: The Tap Room is Nola Brewing's on-site watering hole. And they just moved into the New Digs next door. bigger and better than ever. If you haven't checked it out lately, they serve Nola's regular lineup of craft beer, as well as eight specialty brews you can't get anywhere else.
1: The tap room is open seven days a week, weekdays from 2 to 11 pm, and weekends from 11 in the morning to 11 30 pm.
0: I'm so glad you could join us tonight. Each week on Midnight Menu plus one, Margot and I invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to have a beer with us and we invite them to bring along their own guest the plus one. We never know who the plus one's going to be. Someone's a friend a neighbor, a family member, a fellow restaurant colleague.
1: Our uh, special guest on Midnight Menu plus one tonight is Colleen Rush. She has been in the print and online publishing industry for more than 18 years in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and New Orleans, and has written about everything from the life of the bonobo apes to caviar. She's uh, the author of *Mere Mortals' Guide to Fine Dining* and the co-author of *Low and Slow: Master the Art of Barbecue in Five Easy Lessons*.
0: I cannot wait to talk to Colleen Rush. But before we do that, let's catch up on this week's culinary adventures. Margaret, did you eat anything worth reporting to our listeners?
1: Well, I ate a lot, but it was in Portland, Oregon.
0: Ah. So
1: I will I just heard they have good write food about there it. Too. Yes, it was fantastic. I was. Really amazed. I've never been to Portland before, and I'm in love with Portland, Oregon, I and a, the food. I have a
0: friend in Portland who's imitating the man who Ate New Orleans thing, and he's been coming to Manway Portland. He's doing it on his own, and he's eaten at 800 different restaurants in Portland. But they have—I learned—they have more than we have. I think overall, well, it's a little bit bigger city than I us. I have yeah. to
1: say, the food, even in the the diveyest—I mean, nothing is really divey there. Yeah. Everything is, but uh, the food is incredible. Wow! In uh, every place we we tried so oh, that's awesome so uh well, where I, did you eat this I, week? I
0: had so many i mean i'll just hit the highlights but one is i was intending to go to eat somewhere on magazine lower garden district and as i was walking past from home uh i walked past tracy's uh bar and you know of course yeah we love the roast beef po boy there but this summer they've had oysters out there every every day pretty much. And I got, a, I got a dozen oysters for $10 and I was a little skeptical about the quality, but they were great. They were so good, just big and just the right amount of saltiness and, and they were just terrific. And then, then I've been to uh, Aranya twice since our last show. In fact, I went there tonight for dinner. They, you know, there's so many happy hour deals on a magazine, I don't know if you noticed, between like about Louisiana Avenue and, and uh, down to about Jackson, it seems like. And Aranya's is one of my favorite I found. You know, it's half price on every single taco and every drink. So my margaritas were like $4 and they're great and strong and big and, and all the tacos are 2 or $3 and they're so good. That's my favorite. I, probably, I hate to say my favorite, but I, I think maybe I've had to pick one. It's like my favorite Mexican these days. And then I finally went to Little Korea that you've been begging me to go to for years. <laughs> and you know, we had, but here's what happened. That was when we had, we had him on the show about three years ago. That was the episode I choked on the glass. Remember that? I almost died. There were pieces of broken glass in my uh, in my drink and uh, I thought I was going to die and so it gave me bad associations but it wasn't little Korea's fault they were it weren't wasn't there at
1: little Korea though when Right that I was not at let's Little just, Korea when it happened let's just but I make associated that
0: very clear. them with with the broken glass just like one time I had dental work uh, and I came, the first meal I had afterwards was at Taqueria Corona and I didn't go there for like six months because I associated them with my toothache even though it wasn't their fault. Well anyway, Lil Korea, you are so right. That place <laughs> is so different than what it looks, I gotta say, it's a little strange how the, it's kind of disjointed but man, my spicy oxtail stew was like the greatest dish I ever had in my life, it was, it was fantastic. A little pricey for like what the appearance is, it looks so, you know, it's Taco Bell, they just spray painted or whatever, <laughs> but, but it's, it's so good. Boucherie went to, you know, I wrote the thing about Nino's for the paper or whatever, and so I, I, you know, I feel bad. It's not Boucherie's fault that Nino's is gone, but, you know, whatever. And so I, I go to Boucherie finally again, and it was just so great. I love it as much as I always have. And then uh, AJ, uh, Asian's another one with the happy hour. Albo I went to. So
1: that's like, we're already at more meals than in a week. I know. What, do you I, eat I, I out ate out every-, every
0: single meal this in the last two weeks, I think. I'm literally, I'm not kidding you, I don't think I ate at home one meal. But, What's um, Avo's? I'm Avo's, sorry. the new one that went in the place of Martinique, and I was a little skeptical about how what that would be like. I mean, I thought it would be okay. I went there. It was phenomenal. It was great. I loved everything about it. The service was magnificent. It was like perfect. The atmosphere, what, what they did to the patio was, was great. The food was great. You know, price point's a little high, it's a, it's a, but it's appropriate, you know, because that's what it is. And then Belloc, uh, I went to bed. Belloc, and uh, I, hadn't ha- I had drinks there before, but I've never had food there before. And somebody at work there told me not to get the food, but I went ahead and got the food anyway, and it was fantastic. It was great. I mean, it was it was just comfort food. It was pub food, but it was great. I had uh, fried cauliflower, great drinks, great atmosphere. It was terrific. I won't tell you about the other 30 places I went to. Yeah, week, yeah let's
1: save them. We, yeah. we, we, we'll we have uh, more shows. We have more and shows. And we'll, we have to get Next to them. Next week, I'll catch up. All right, All excellent.
0: Right. Anyway, we don't <laughs> want to delay anymore because we probably have a lot to talk about with our guest. She, she sounds wonderful, and we know she's wonderful. Um, so Welcome. welcome. Colleen Rush.
2: Hello. How you doing? Most
0: recently of Low and Slow 2. Yes. The best selling book in the barbecue category on it's, Amazon.
2: It's doing all right. For as long
0: as I've been checking the last couple weeks.
2: It's doing all right.
1: Yeah. Number one
0: every time. Absolutely. Yep.
1: So before we get into um, some of your uh, recent stuff, I want to know a little bit about you. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Alexandria,
2: Louisiana in Rapides Parish. So it's about three and a half hours away from here. Okay.
1: Yeah. And um, when did you uh, get passionate about food, or was that how you grew up? Well, I'm from
2: Louisiana, so it goes okay. without okay. saying that I grew up eating and, and being around great cooks, and every occasion is centered around food in, this, in, in our culture. So um, everyone in my family, all great cooks. Uh, my mom was born and raised in a Boyles Parish in Mansura. Where the cochon de lait is a, is a big tradition there. And I gr- we grew up doing cochon de lait for every holiday occasion that we could. Um, so, yeah, it's in, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA.
1: And were you in the kitchen, too, growing up? I mean,
2: did oh, you... Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean... Before I could handle a knife or, or be around something on fire, uh, you know, we learned to set the table and get things ready for dinner parties and polish the silver. Not that my parents were that fancy, but yeah, we, we helped set up for, for big family meals. I'm the youngest of five. I'm, I come from a huge family. My mom's the youngest of five, and her family, I have cousins galore. So, big family and lots of eating. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Now, what was your first job? In, in the food in, in the food industry, or anything related to writing? Oh, writing, I was gonna
2: say, my first food Sorry. industry job was, I uh, worked in a snowball stand uh, <laughs> in Alexandria uh, when I was in high school, so that was my first food uh, hospitality industry job. Uh, my first food writing job was actually The Mere Mortals Guide to Fine Dining. Um, I had been writing for women's magazines in New York for years and years and years, And I finally got the ear of a book agent who asked me what I really wanted to do. And I told him I want to write about food. I'm from Louisiana, this is what we do. Uh, and I shopped around an idea. So The Mere Mortals uh, Guide to Fine Dining was actually my first real foray into food writing. Wow, so. that's
1: exciting. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners ab- about the book a little bit, like what your concept was behind it and what it evolved into? Yeah, it's um, it was basically sort of a
2: how to eat in a fancy restaurant without feeling like an a-hole.
1: Um, <laughs> you know, you go in
2: and you kind of feel overwhelmed and you don't know what a lot of the, you know, where to put your fork or you know just sort of the routines of eating in uh, fancier restaurants I was living in New York at the time and had had the opportunity to eat in some really high-end restaurants and I was raised right I have good manners but there's still some of this sense of feeling out of place uh, a little bit so it was just sort of a primer on fine dining um, and different cuisines Uh, so yeah that was it.
0: Now, you were like a sex writer for Cosmopolitan. right? You were Carrie Bradshaw of- uh... <laughs> That is
2: so not what I was, but yes, I did. I wrote sex and relationship- Cosmo, Let's call them relationship right? stories for Cosmo for uh, eight or nine years uh, when I was living in New York and, wow. and a little bit beyond that. Now how did you get so, that job? Um, can I tell the truth? Yes. <laughs> Please. This is
1: the internet. You can say whatever you want.
2: Well, I uh, moved to New York from Los Angeles, and I worked with a woman who had moved back to New York from Los Angeles as well. And she had gotten job. She had gotten a job at a, another woman's magazine, and she invited me out for dinner with another editor. Uh, We drank way too much and started telling each other sex stories and funny (laughs) stuff like girls talk (laughs) And this this editor at Cosmo said you have got to write for us Wait a second,
0: so that means that you had particularly impressive stories or you wouldn't have gotten a job
2: Yeah, I mean that sounds so promiscuous and I was not promiscuous You're just a great storyteller.
1: (laughs) It's not about the uh, actually thing that happened. It's just how you tell Here's the thing.
2: I'm a good reporter. I'm a good writer. And people, you know, you ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. And people tell you stories. When you ask them about their sex life, they will tell you about it. So I have good stories from other people. How's that for a dodge? Yeah,
0: but (laughs) there you go. Your mom's listening. But, uh, no, I mean, you're, you're out with a bunch of people from Cosmo in New York, like, Helen Gurley Brown's with you or something? No. No, she not there right. At the time.
2: No, she's a little. Yeah, that was a different generation of Cosmo. <laughs> I'm just yeah, yeah. But yeah.
0: okay, and they're going. Wow, that's so impressive. We want to hire you. That, yeah. That had to be good stories.
2: There were good stories. There were now, definitely good stories. How
0: many? with that, that meal ended up? Uh, did you end up Oh no, about we Cosmo didn't. We didn't another. get specific.
2: The, the stories that I wrote were all sort of advice driven, and okay. you know how to the secrets of getting a second date, and the new Kama Sutra, and that kind of stuff. Was so. there
1: anything that was uh, <laughs> difficult to write that you? Or, oh, yeah. What um, was the most difficult? I w- actually started to write. writing for Maxim. Are y'all
2: familiar yeah, with yeah. the Men's Magazine? Right. So, when you write for Cosmo, you know, your word gets around. You're in New York, it's a small publishing industry, or not small, but your word gets around that you're a reliable, good writer and you've got skills. Um, and so, I started writing a little bit for Maxim, and they asked me to write a story. Um, about, you know, when you're in a relationship for a long time, how to spice up your sex life. And at the time, I had been in a 10 or 12 year relationship. um, So I was in a relationship for a long time. But it was not a first person story. This was just sort of you interview experts and get their feedback and quote them and all that jazz. But the editor that I worked with at the time thought that it would be a good idea to turn it into a first person story so it ended up having my byline on it and saying as a woman who has been in a relationship for a long time these are the things that I discovered it was horrifying it was horrifying
0: were they all true like, they that, all well I mean that you, you used in the article uh,
2: it's not necessarily to my life or my oh, relationship. Oh, yeah, just
0: the byline said that. Exactly. Oh, got exactly. it. Oh, so oh, so I it's a little see. misleading in a way because the, 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 like the editor of the changed the
2: introduction to the story okay. to a first person. Like me, like I was saying. Oh, eyes, but, wow. it was but then awkward. the rest
0: of it was written, and this person said this, and this person exactly, said that. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't. So. It, they didn't turn into complete fiction. They just sort of build it. Exactly. As, as me. Okay. These
2: are. This is how I researched. Uh, you know, spicing up my sex life with. Yeah. It was awkward. That's wacky. And the number of people in my family who actually read that story was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, every single one. Not of a proud was. moment for me. Wow. <laughs> so. Well, um,
1: I have a question about. You, you said you were asked to write the first book, and um, and an and an editor, I guess, kind of dictates what the subject matter is. Like in that article, does you come up with an idea and then it is fine tuned by someone else? Uh, for magazines, or for or magazines, for, yeah. and then. But I was gonna get to. Yeah, yeah, for magazines.
2: And magazines, you really, um, you pitch, you pitch ideas and, and, or an editor, at the point that I was at with Cosmo, they would come to me with story ideas and say, we want you to write this. I was on contract with them on a monthly basis. So they would come back to me and say, we want you to write this or that. So, so did
1: you ever, um, did you ever feel the need to like refuse something? Like this thing about the bonobo apes. Yes. What like...
2: That was fun. That was fun. That was uh, yeah. That was uh, that was the, an editor from Maxim before this other story I've never came heard of out. Heard bonobo
0: apes? Should I have the, heard of bonobo apes? Bonobo, bonobo apes
2: ape. are, are uh, monkeys that have an extraordinary sex life. Ah, uh, what makes are, it extraordinary? <laughs> they they there's This has been years since I wrote this story, but they have a, um, a communal way of living that involves a lot of touching, a lot of sex. Frequently, like within, I think the statistic is something like every 30 seconds, a bonobo ape will have some sort of like physical, sexually-related contact with another ape. Do they get any other work
0: ape? done? I mean, do they gather enough food? That, maybe that's why they're, because I, I, I would think if they had that much sex, they would take over the ape world because they would actually, have lots of offspring, but maybe they starve to death because yeah, they're-
2: That's all they're doing. Because
0: that's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah. maybe they, But so. they don't care because I don't they're know. lost and in they're the And they're
2: not haze. just
1: procreating.
2: They're no, obvi- it's not all, I don't think it's all the sex act. I think it's sexual behavior. Let's huh. put it that way. There's a Fun. lot of male on male, and a lot of female on female, there's not.
0: <laughs> now, where are these bonobo apes?
2: Uh, New Jersey? Like, where, where, where's, <laughs> What's your
0: natural habitat?
2: Africa? I don't know. It's been years since I wrote that story. I'd have to reread it again. It's been a long time. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. It's been a very long time. Good question. C- <laughs> okay, thank C- you. C- C- <laughs> <Lister>. I <laughs> need I to rewrite there. my bio. I was trying
1: <laughs> to ask a, diff- a question, though, and I don't know how to phrase it, and it's not as interesting as that. But So when you come up with a book idea, mm-hmm. uh, like your first book, did it uh, – did you have the concept and or they approached you and you it evolved as you went along or did you but yeah my agent um asked me
2: what I wanted to write about I said food he's like you know what what do you want to write about and I had had some recent experiences at that point in fine dining that kind of felt like it resonated in a bigger way so I pitched I pitched the idea of a okay. book about fine dining and uh, and Penguin
1: picked it up so Thanks. yeah and your, the current book that you co-authored, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about uh, who you co-authored it with and, and that experience. Uh,
2: so before I moved uh, back to Louisiana, to New Orleans, I was living in Chicago, and I was doing a little bit of food writing there um, and magazine writing, and I got involved with a, just kind of a food nerd community in Chicago, kind of like Chowhound, but a little bit more local to chicago and started hanging out with one of the organizers or one of the co-founders of this food nerd group um and he had a barbecue program that was very specific to the weber smoky mountain which is a very specific type of smoker Um, and he knew that i was a food writer and had an agent and um so he said he wanted to turn it into a book so i helped him expand it to cover other types of cookers so it was really when i met him You know, I know about barbecue, but I really kind of ran through a a systematic approach to barbecue uh, through him.
1: Well, I have to say, the book is, I think it's great because it's very um, clear. It's very helpful. I, I was looking at it with my brother, and he loves to barbecue, and And he found information in it that was great for him, and he's been doing it a long time. But it was easy enough for me, who, I've never, I'm not a barbecuer, I don't know how to grill, and you, it's set up so that you can cook three different kinds of ways Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to understand it is and I think
2: I think that's why we the publisher came back to us for book two and said do you want to do another one the first one is done really well and it's because I think a lot of books about barbecue are a little bit vague you know we're dealing with charcoal and fire and it's very unpredictable so it's a really systematic approach to barbecue which makes it sound like kind of boring but You really have to know how to control airflow in a cooker, whatever cooker you're using, to be able to control a temperature. And so many cookbooks, so many barbecue cookbooks tell you, you know, start a fire and get your cooker to run between 225 and 250, that low and slow zone. But how do you do it? So this book is really geared toward teaching you how to use your cooker and how to control uh, the temperature in it, almost like an oven. You're basically using... Something very un- unpredictable, like charcoal and fire, and using it like your your oven. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Well, it made me feel almost like I was learning from somebody in my family, like someone would teach you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't dumbed down or anything. I don't mean like that. Just it had a real uh, good feeling for very me. Very accessible. Accessible, yeah, and humble you know, tone to it. Yeah, but yeah. it but personal and yeah. Um, yeah. things that you can only learn. I think. From doing something a long time, right? That and is handed down, like got little guides. Right. So I find that's it was really neat. That is
2: the premise of the book: is the more you do it, the more the better you get at it. The more you uh, build your instincts for that type of cooking, because it's not something you know. I think so many uh, like backyard barbecue guys get into it, and it's all fire and caveman, and and you end up burning everything that you cook or drying it out. And there's there's a there's an approach to it that is nuanced and uh, and. Again, I keep using the word systematic, which sounds so boring, but it's it takes time. It takes time to build that. The guys that are doing great barbecue here in New Orleans, it, they didn't learn it overnight. They've been
1: doing it for years. Mm-hmm. Well, do you do y'all get to test your food? I mean, did you on on the book? Do you? Uh, recipe tests. Recipe everything?
2: everything, yeah. We uh, Last summer, I spent a lot of time in Chicago where Gary Wibbiot, my co-author, lives. Um, I spent weeks and weeks at a time up there, and he came down here for a couple of weeks in July, mind you. Oh. Uh, and we cooked.
1: Do you all have parties, or is it just you and him tasting oh, no.
2: the food? Oh, uh, no. I have a ton of family in the city, so, yeah, we fed a lot of people for a, a good two-week period here. Everything in that book was tested a couple of times. Uh, and a lot of them are Gary's recipes that he's done a million times either on his own or he's the pit master at a, a famous barbecue restaurant in Chicago called Barn and Company. So mm. he's pretty well versed in, in the art.
0: <laughs> well, I think uh, I want to hear a lot more about that, but I think it's probably a good time to, to um, have your plus one jump in. Yeah. I, I'm dying to know who she is and why you brought her. I know, she's so been so us. quiet so far, yes. i got to introduce her. Very mysterious. Uh,
2: my plus one is Deb Cotton, Miss Deb Cotton. She is a friend of mine, a neighbor, a new neighbor-ish, yes. a year yes. now. Yes. Uh, What's and up, she New and I, Orleans? Yeah. <laughs> she and I worked together when I was the editor of NewOrleans.com. Uh, Deb covers Second Line Parades and is uh, oh, wow. a wonderful mm-hmm. writer and a wonderful documentary filmmaker. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm also known us. on the
3: street as Big Red Cotton, that's the moniker I've been Blogging under for many years on the second line world. So, oh. thank you for having me.
1: Now, how did you get into that? Are you
3: um, from New Orleans? No, I'm originally from Los Angeles, and I moved here about five months prior to the storm. I'd been coming back and forth for 15 years. I always loved the city. Always knew I was going to move here. Finally moved here. Then the levees explode, and I'm driven out like everyone else. And um, And I was, uh, you know, mourning New Orleans, not really sure it was going to come back online, looking for any and everything that I could find from home. And I was shocked at the dearth of um, sort of videos and and content about second-line parades and Mardi Gras Indians, like these, you know, street culture that you only see in New Orleans. And I began to panic, thinking, you know, if we don't rebuild New Orleans, this tradition, this culture is going to die because no other city is going to let... Thousand black people take over the streets four hours every Sunday, <laughs> you know <laughs> for nine months out of the year. It's not gonna happen, so um, But we came back and we rebuilt and so I uh, made it a priority. I was blogging at the time I was getting picked up um, by national publications and you know, some international was doing some work for BBC But I bought a video camera and I began going to second lines and I began filming them um, in 2008 and I um, over time I began to um, get a, a large following I was at the time blogging also for the times picking in for Nolacom and um, I was also very surprised that there was no one publishing the second line routes and I thought that was odd considering it ties up traffic for four hours every week even if that's not something you're into you that's something it's a public interest you mm. need to know yeah. so I started publishing the routes and it just sort of blew up the the ratings were off the charts and I knew I had something and um, So, uh, yeah, so I just, it took off from there. So I'm, I blog for Gambit. I've been with Gambit now for several years. and I've been covering Second Line and, and street culture for about, I don't know, eight years.
0: <laughs> now, wow. Deb, maybe we should back up just a little bit. A lot of our listeners may not know about Second Lines and what they are. Can, mm-hmm. you, can you tell us where the term came from? Sure. And just, little, just give a little summary of Second Lining.
3: Sure. Um, so Second Lines are hosted by what we call Social Aid and Pleasure Clubs. And um, these clubs date all the way back 150-some-odd years. Um, started by uh, black folks in neighborhoods. Um, back in the day, they weren't able to get. Um, life insurance or health insurance policies for that matter. And so they came up with the idea of forming clubs and paying dues and using the dues to offset the cost of burying loved ones, you know, for members. And they also use the dues money to host these annual parades. And so, you know, there there are about 60 clubs that are functioning at any given time every year. And um, they get permits from the city. And and they're neighborhood-based organizations. Some are all men, some are all women, some are a mix of men, women, and kids, and um, and it's just a great, fun event. It usually goes from like 12 to 4, from 1 to 5, and the clubs hire these bands, and they they get these elaborate suits and baskets and umbrellas made, and the colors every year change, and it's kept a secret, so when they debut, you know, the minute they come out of the door and the band is playing, everyone like goes crazy and wild, and then you take off into the streets, and, and you're just dancing apart. It's like a movie. Block party for like four right. hours every Sunday.
0: Now people don't realize it's pretty much year-round too. Yes, huh? yes, yes, we're
3: we're actually in off-season, so it ends uh, second line season ends Father's Day weekend and begins the week before Labor Day.
0: Right, so this is just a break for the summer, but yeah. nine months of the year you can you can go to these. Now these don't. That's right. That's not even counting like the funeral second lines and other kinds of second exactly. lines that are out there too. These is sort of the social cl- the social aid. Club, and pleasure sort of club pleasure hosted, club, ones. The hosted mm-hmm. ones right mm-hmm. now that's sort of like a roughly equivalent like people are familiar with mardi gras but maybe maybe they're tourists and they've come here right. and they've seen that but they haven't they don't know about this it's sort of, there those groups are sort of in a way like the mardi gras crews they yeah. attorneys or sororities or, yes. or whatever in, in a sense it's exactly what they that are. have a, that have sort of a different season and a different mm-hmm. purpose but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Similar You hit, the, in hit lot it of ways,
3: on the ahead. Right? yep that's exactly what they are. So, that is my passion and my love. And I write about other things. Uh, I've written for other publications outside of Gambit and the TP, but um, what primarily. What a great folkally, job, though! Yeah, what a it's very fun. To get to hang out and do this <laughs> in four
0: hours every week—it's yeah,
3: amazing. Yeah, I'm. I really. I've built a great rapport with the clubs and with the bands, and they all, you know, seem to appreciate the the. It's sort of a public service, and I'm happy to do it. And um, it also gives them footage, you know, if they are applying for grants or they're trying to promote their club to get any sort of... um you know, marketing or or uh, promotions—they have that footage, and um, so it's a good fun. It's a good time um, for me, and they get something, and you know, everyone's happy. So now, probably
0: you're—I li- I mean, you're like Dick Clark at the New Year's Eve uh, ball <laughs> drop or whatever, right? I mean, you're, you're 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 probably the best known presence to them, you know, uh-huh. now yeah. for years. Yeah. But like, do you ever like tick them off? Or, like, is there anything you ever write that kind of annoys one of the clubs? Have you done that? Uh, he's messy. Specific. He likes the <laughs> dirt,
3: <Yeah>. like me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I wrote something once that got some ruffled some feathers. Um,
0: like, keep it general, so we don't piss any, so you don't <laughs> piss them off again. Okay. But like, well, but okay. We'll so be the I have it. Thing that would annoy somebody. Okay. What you so do. Maybe I've inadvertently actually or enjo- whatever. I'm sure that's not your purpose.
3: I've uh, I've enjoyed uh, Knockwood. I've enjoyed um, great relations with all the clubs. I haven't had any problems, but I have had a little dust ups with um, uh, one of the bands. Um, you know, things happen. There's a difference between um, street culture, you know, what happens in the hood, and then what happens like, you know, at a show that's, you know, when there's a cover charge and there's an audience or there's tourists, you know. So um, there was a a kind of a thing going down where one very well-known popular band was having um, some crises and some issues internally. And there was another band that was taking that opportunity to try to show up at their gigs and blow and embarrass them and and try to get a name for themselves by showing that they were quote-unquote a better or stronger band. And so um, it came to a head at one of the parades and because I knew all the backstory, I knew all of the players I wrote about it for Gambit and it really it kind of backfired on the band who had been trying to um, come up on the the shoulders yeah yeah and you know that's actually an element in uh, band culture you know like these you know Grambling and all of these um, universities that have bands you know like there is definitely like a competition thing between schools and a lot of these musicians come through that culture so You know, in a way, they kind of look at it as friendly competition. Right. But there was an element that was a little kind of tawdry. I felt, you know, taking advantage of, you know, this one group that is so beloved around the world because they're having, you know, like a hard time and using that to try to build your name. And so I wrote the story and the members, especially the leader of the band, was really upset because he thought it was going to make him look bad nationally and Uh. locally. And um, so it actually served to kind of squash the beef. But um, they they were kind of annoyed with me, and I think they've been salty with me ever since. <laughs> but it's whatever, you know. Cause, and those things, again, like, you know, New Orleans is, is built on secrets and mystery. And those yeah. things, you know, historically have never been reported on. And here I am, you know, coming from L.A., the land of, like, Hollywood and reality TV. And, you know, I'm putting people's stuff on Front Street. So, you know, it's yeah, a little yeah,
1: yeah. like, ah. Second you know. line confidential. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I got to use that. <laughs> Uh, yeah interesting yeah so y'all met work i mean through work before Mm -hmm. and now you are neighbors yes yes and um,
3: we live directly across the street from each other
1: (laughs) you don't have to say on air where you live Uh but is is there a um social aid club in that area i mean is it like a no not no um
3: not far from us there is a club but no we not in our neighborhood there there's not a club that comes out of our neighborhood but we got some great restaurants in our neighborhood. <laughs> yes. What are yeah. some of those? That's not hard uh, Café Degas is oh, one of our great, uh, great restaurants. And I just place, had yeah. brunch there for the first time Sunday, and it blew my wig back. Like, it was super <laughs> delicious. Yeah. So if you're looking for a good brunch, Café Degas is, is one and on Sunday. Thousand Sundays. Figs. Thousand yes. Figs is right across the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah. And
2: they're yes. magically delicious. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that place. I eat there
3: too often.
1: Yeah, and, I do too. Um, <laughs> What's the, they have the wonderful garlic soup. They've been there forever. Um, oh. Ba- uh, Bayona with garlic no, soup? No, 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 no. Mm. On uh, Esplanade right? Lola's. 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 Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Lola's is delicious. I got a painting also. in my
0: house that I bought at Lola's. They sell paintings, too, sometimes. Mm-hmm. They did. Mm-hmm. You okay. look to make them crazy. I really I know no. I'm I wasn't even that. looking at you. I believe you. It's
1: been so long since I've been there. I love that neighborhood, though. That's great. We also yeah. have
2: Terranova's, which is the loveliest. is that the wine shop? No, that's no. the grocery store. Yeah. The old uh, delicious meats, oh, yeah. the best at green Taranova. onion sausage in the city, mm-hmm. the best Ooh. muffaladas I concur. on Saturdays. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: Did not know you got to get there
2: early to get them. They only make a, a, a set number of them, and you have to get there early enough to get one on Saturday. Yeah, it's one Scoop of those
3: old-fashioned New Orleans little stores, little market that you kind of have to be in the know. But they have fresh meat, and just yeah, uh, it, yeah it's exceptional. Um, I mean, they sell other things, but their meat is what they're kind of known for. Family run.
2: They've been around for like yeah. 90 years. Old I think they've been Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, yeah, The dad and the son run the uh, yeah. the butcher counter cool. in the back, and the mom and the daughter-in-law are at the register in the front. It's a lovely place. They call place. all the neighbors
3: by their first name <laughs> or miss oh, so-and-so. Nice. You know, they know everyone. It's really precious.
0: Very cool.
1: What about the pharmacy that used to be there? LeBlanc's? Is it, yeah. Is still yeah. there? It turned
2: into a um, tutti Fruity yogurt. Oh, no. I know. Oh. <laughs> that was short-lived. Oh. Uh, no Not other. even Oh, a the tutti Fruity didn't even make it. it. No. And there, I just saw a sign to go up. It's going to be Bayou Breakfast. It's gonna, We need a breakfast oh. place in that neighborhood desperately, so yeah. we did. it's going to be some sort of a breakfast yeah. place. Yeah.
0: Okay. Somebody's got to make a, you know, there's the, there's the book of all the bygone movie theaters in New Orleans. You know, it used to be over 100. and it, Somebody's got to do that wow. for drugstores. It's down to one now, I think. Castellon's is like the last is, neighborhood drugstore, yeah. independent drugstore, I think, in the whole city yeah. that I know I of. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Long's maybe there's great. one or two others, and I don't mean to leave anybody out, but yeah. I mean, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, It's all Walgreens and CVS's now, and, yeah. you know, it looks exactly like, you know, Illinois or whatever. Um, <laughs>
1: Well, I think we have uh, we have to take a break for our sponsors. Oh, yeah. Uh, real quick.
0: I knew something was coming. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we do that? Um, Margo, uh, thank you tonight to the Nola Brewing Taproom, the watering hole of the Nola Brewing Company on Chapatula Street in the Irish Channel, where you can get all of Nola Brewing's beers, plus another eight specialty beers you can't get anywhere else in these great new digs. If you haven't been to the new location here next door, you really got to come down and check this out. As great as it was before, it's even, it's even uh, cooler now. I love this.
1: Okay, and let me tell y'all about our friends at Petite Pet Care. While you're at work or on vacation, you don't have to board your pet. He can stay in the comfort of his own home for loving care when you're not there. Petite Pet Care. Find them at petitepetcare.com.
0: I think we should go ahead and do the off the menu while we're at it. Sure.
1: Okay, guys, this is a part of the show where we um, ask you even worse questions than you've been asked. Uh-oh. <laughs> previously. Um, that uh, you wouldn't be asked in a job interview or anything like that. Oh, my so, favorite um, Good. Colleen, let me ask you, uh, um, what is your guiltiest lowbrow food item that you Ingest regularly. I don't. I don't
2: consider any food lowbrow. I love everything. I'm an equal to opportunity <laughs> eater.
0: Spam. Um, Spam's not lowbrow to you.
2: No, I will eat some. Oh, that's a good example. Um, no, you know the liverwurst that comes in the tube.
0: Yeah, the <laughs> <ragger> or whatever. <laughs> I don't disgusting. know. Disgusting. Absolutely is disgusting.
2: Horrible. It's like the poor man's pate. I love it. That <laughs> poor on a, man's pate. Oh, would that. you put it on a salty? Oh, so good. Yeah i gotta get Uh,
0: on that that's got to be nostalgic (laughs) from your childhood or something it totally is yeah yeah and
2: i remember when you know how they're they're tied at the end they're kind of gathered Getting With the little metal clip. Exactly, whatever. my mom would cut it, and getting and there's five kids in my family, and getting the end where you got to like eat the little part. <laughs> a piece at, of
0: plastic. At, the it butt. Wasn't the
1: plastic, but <laughs> you get the butt end it of it. It held the most. It had a little crinkles in it that yeah, held there was some something about flavor. I don't know what it was, um. but we fought over that. I don't. Some you kids know fight over the uh, batter, yeah. the, the whippy to, thing to lick the, the yeah, lick yeah lick the, to lick the whisk. Yeah. 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 Well,
0: you, you know this. This is actually really helpful to me because. Um You've been getting me so hungry through this whole thing, and I already had dinner. And I eat about five times as many calories on a regular day than I should, and I'm always constantly figuring out what to do about it. And now you've destroyed my appetite with that. I there have, you go. Yeah, <laughs> the the gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. The woman's minutes no? Every if we start <laughs> getting the like barbecue again <laughs> later in the show, can you just do me a favor and just yell out liverwurst every few minutes, please? That's so gross.
2: It does look like cat food. Cat food. Yeah, exactly. It does. <laughs> Oh, that's great. (laughs) Cat food in a tube. Wow, people pay for this, and you you do too. I love it.
0: Well, um, (laughs) all right, Deb, a couple uh, just real fast uh, binary things. You pick one or the other, okay? All right, okay. So, this is easy. Café du Monde or Morning morning Call?
3: Ooh, Café du Monde.
0: All right. Um,
3: Sorry, Morning Call.
0: (laughs) can't read my own hand right here mm-hmm. nola's smokehouse or the joint that was going to be for her but I'll, I'll, i want your mm-hmm. answer
3: i guess the joint, the joint since okay. i've not experienced the smokehouse unfortunately okay
0: oh you haven't been to smokehouse yet. i have not oh maybe we should talk about that in a minute yeah. okay clancy's or Ooh. um oh i did not finished i got com- a visceral <laughs> <laughs> response. i guess we know your answer clancy's are <laughs> commanders
3: Clancy's, honey. Wow. They've got the brie on the fried oysters.
0: Oh my lord! All right, Landry or Nagin? <laughs> 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 well,
3: uh, I'm gonna say Landry. Oh, mm-hmm. That's the popular
0: answer. Yeah. May not be the best. Right. Um, <laughs> Casamentos or Felix?
3: Casamentos. All right. Yes.
0: Good answers. Yeah, there weren't
3: any that wrong was answers pain-free, there. Pain-free, except yeah. the mayor question. Except maybe the mayor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'd think All that'd right. be easy but um no so um let's ask some Well, oh, we got into the barbecue subject yes um you're if you weren't a barbecue expert you definitely became one while writing the book that's for sure definitely so a couple things about that I'm curious about one thing is I noticed when I got to New Orleans people consider I mean I'm, I've only been here 10 years it'll be 10 years next month mm-hmm. but um <laughs>
1: Only 10 years?
0: Only 10 years. So that means I'm just barely scraping the surface. I'm trying as hard as I can, going as fast as I can. I feel like I'm a I'm, I'm complete beginner. But um, I'm, I'm doing this show mostly to try to catch up faster, mostly. But one thing I noticed right away was in my ignorance I thought, oh, Southern City. you know? And then I noticed there was like no sweet tea here. Uh, none of the white people voted republican uh there was no southern accent and then one of the things i noticed that didn't make it southern either was like hardly any barbecue hardly right. any barbecue right. when i got here the joint was the only barbecue place that when i asked where can i get barbecue i mean back in jersey i had lots of barbecue places i couldn't find any place really but were they now, good
2: barbecue places well that,
0: <laughs> this is another problem I, have, I know i have a very unrefined palate in barbecue <laughs> But, like, I like most of it. Right. But people are so specific about their barbecue. It's insane. Like, you, you insult people. Nice people get crazy <laughs> over, like, no, just because it's Memphis and they love Kansas City yes. or, you know, whatever, you know. Yes. And they, they can't like anything else but their style and there's, like, you know. So um, I guess what I'm getting at is now it's not like that. There seems to be a lot of barbecue places. And from most people's view, not just mine, you know, who likes everything, but, like, a lot of discerning palates are, are, are claiming the, the explosion of barbecue in the world seems like it's really growing a lot. Yeah. And What are some of your favorites? Like, like Noah's Smokehouse, for example, is one that's, that a lot uh, of I mean, people that's love. That's my top pick. That's, that's my your top number pick. one. That's my I love too, Rob. I, I, lo- I love well, what he does. Well, a lot does. of he
2: does to, it. He's serious about it. He's a little crazy about it, even. Oh yeah. Um, but I love what he does. I think the joint is excellent. That would be right. my second pick right. too. Those would be my top two. And I love uh, McClure's. I mean, right. here, here at the here at the tap room. I'm yeah. so excited. I don't know if our listeners know this. is
0: a new development. Neil McClure is now serving his barbecue is actually all being made here at the tap room and even even for the other look the original location and they're serving it all here I believe the whole menu right pretty much isn't it or no
2: I'm not sure I don't we'll know have I haven't been yet I haven't been I was hoping I know they here tonight. that's, yeah. that's why I go for first mm. and then, yeah, yeah he's a lovely guy so but the uh, other ones you like um,
0: I won't ask any specifics in case you don't like. Let's some. just
2: stick to the top three. Okay, good okay, ones. okay. <laughs> Keep it positive. Yeah, well, yeah. No, I think that would be my top. Three but I too, do yeah. love, I do love Nola Smokehouse, and he had such a, I feel like a not a rough start, but a slow start. You know, it's. Well, it's he's
0: crazy. You went to an area like a place that didn't have. You know, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't like a place you you thought of as being a place that was a mecca for people to look right. for you there. You mean
2: the first place in Fat City or the one? He's no, no, announced?
0: no. I mean, I we moved here. Like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, yeah it was no little, sign. You know, yeah, or a sign burned. Into the, and the and the it's fence. close to the other stuff in the magazine, but it's like four or five blocks off the main path, so you right. don't see it. And it's above Chapatulas. But then he sleeps there. And we were having the show. He, got, the guy he like,
2: has proven that. He sets his alarm every hour, all night
0: long, and he gets yeah. up every hour to feed his thing. And then it takes him 15 minutes, and he goes back to sleep for 45 minutes, and then he. Does yeah. it again. And this is how he lives five oh, days a week. He's insane. Crazy man. <laughs> Lunatic.
2: But perseverance. I mean, again, he had a slow start, right. but he is selling out almost daily now, it looks like. I haven't been in a while either. Well, I Well, the last few weeks, I don't hiatus. know what's happening,
0: but the last few weeks when I've driven by there, there's been a line out the door. I've never yeah, seen a line before. It's nuts. And it's he used fun. to sell out by two and I've heard now he's selling out by like twelve thirty. People are really lining early. up before
2: they, he even opens. Right, up, right,
0: right. Notice a guy who brought a lawn, lawn, a lawn chair there. Got there. Oh like, like, Did <laughs> one
2: of y'all write
1: an article about him that uh No, he just Word got uh, no,
2: Word got out. He is he's super talented and he does it right. He does it the right way. Because there's so many ways to do it wrong and so many <laughs> ways that people do. Well that well that'll segue into wrong. the book
0: then. Tell us some examples of what he does right and the kind of things that actually readers could learn how to do too on their own right he great no the book.
2: gas i mean there's no gas involved so there's no word. gas and barbecue on the front end let's just right. put it that way um he you know he does it low and slow he's got these gorgeous i mean i don't know if y'all have seen the cookers that he uses they're beautiful beautiful um, and no shortcuts he uses good meat and it takes a long time and the thing with barbecue is barbecue restaurants in particular you know i think a lot of them are guilty of holding meat like you make a ton of it the day before and you use it for the rest of the week he does it i mean he sells out and that's that's his business model and he might not make as much money as he you know could if he did it the other way but he does it right he does it right
0: yeah that's interesting i was that was actually something i written down i wanted to ask you about i was reading again this last week on your facebook about um or on the books facebook Uh i I assume you wrote this on uh On rested meat and all that kind of stuff. What oh, you yeah. do? It, explain that. That was really educational to me. Like, I guess there's there's a classic uh, uh, problem with, you know, with what you do with the meat after you, after it's done.
2: Right. In restaurants, you have these warming ovens that you can right. hold it for hours and hours and hours, which you kind of need to on the restaurant level. Like, can uh,
0: overcook or dry it out. Right, or, right. Right.
2: Right. But on the on the backyard level, you still, you know, if you're gonna babysit a brisket for 12 hours. Um, Chances are you're not serving it right after you take it off the cooker. You need to let it sit for an hour or two. I I cook during Jazz Fest. I do, you know, 9 to 12 racks of ribs during Jazz Fest. But I don't want to be there... You know, I want to be out at the fairgrounds at Jazz Fest, so I cook and then I want to hold the ribs for a couple of hours. So it's that it's that cooler technique that was yeah. in that story that you're yeah. I mean,
0: it actually you claim that it, it actually can even improve the meat in the first couple hours, right? It I mean, it a
2: little bit. I mean, there's a, it's a little bit of a cheat. There's a little bit of a cheat involved in right. it because you're wrapping it in foil, which the the meat kind of it, it steams itself a little bit, right. so it gets a little bit more fall off the bone, which is not my preference, but it keeps it warm versus having to reheat it. Versus, you know, coming down in temperature and then having yeah. to reheat it. You don't so want. So, tell
0: that. us a little bit about the cooler technique. I mean, I cut you off. Yeah, what, no, what no, were you no. Say?
2: So, you take a um, uh, an ice cooler, and you um, Gary's technique. He taught this to me. Um, you boil water, and you dump hot boiling water in the cooler, and then you dump that out, and then you fill it with towels, and then you take whatever meat you've cooked, wrap it in foil, and throw it in the, throw it in the cooler as quickly as possible, uh, while it's still kind of hot, and it will hold that heat for. I mean, I've gone three, four, five hours hmm. um, and it holds a, a, a good steady temperature because you've heated up the cooler uh, instead of icing it down and it holding the, the cold temperature, it holds the
0: heat. But it keeps it moist.
2: Yeah. It does. Because the, the, awesome. the worst thing you can do to barbecue is let it cool off and then reheat it. Mm. That's what dries uh, it out. Yeah.
0: Okay. So. That's a little bit like uh, like Chinese like a uh, Chinese takeout. What you do with the with the, with yeah. With the rice? <laughs> yeah, you know? that's so It's true. never the same again. Right? <laughs> the rice. Yeah, yeah. You can't put it in the fridge and then try to heat it up again. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah you better to it eat away. it cold even. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, <laughs> <little> congealed.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Deb, I want to ask you a question about um, the second lines and the social aid clubs. What um, when you were first? Uh, learning about it and maybe getting more involved Mm -hmm. and and getting to know people. What was the most um, enlightening or or moving thing that you experienced about it? Um. Oh,
3: wow. Um, Well, I mean, there's so many, but I guess um, one group that I am just so thrilled by and wowed by is the Young Melonympian. They are a second line club that come out of Central City And they just had their 130-year anniversary.
0: Wow. Wow. And that is
3: phenomenal. Incredible. Yes. And um, they have at least five divisions. So it's a really large club, Um, all men, all black men. And they range in age from their 90s to one-year-old. So, um, And they do a lot of community service. And, um, you know, the, the men are just, you know, I know a lot of the members and they're just upstanding citizens, you know, they, they move quietly through, you know, new Orleans. They are working class guys. A lot of them, um, you know, a lot of professional too, but, um, community service is a huge part of, and maintaining tradition. And they host two parades a year, actually. They have an anniversary parade um, in September, and then two weeks later is their full four-hour parade. So, um, you know, I just... To, you don't. You're not gonna get that anyplace else in the United States. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm born I'm black and Jewish. I'm, uh, my father's black. My mother's Jewish. Um, so racially identify as a black woman, and um, and coming from outside of New Orleans as a black American, you really don't find blacks don't have a lot of ties to the motherland that you can trace directly back. And it's a, a point of it's it's a painful you know reality of our our life and our um our culture and but here in new orleans um there are so many traditions and rituals that are directly uh you know that you can trace back hundreds of years to the motherland through right. slavery um through the various um you know trials and tribulations but When you have a club like this that's been around for 130 years and they can document their history and what they've done for the community and they still are pumping, going strong these many years, I mean, it just, it it gives me such pride, you know, I'm not from here, I'm not a man, you know, black man, but I still feel a lot of pride um, with what these guys are doing, so. Yeah, wow. so I mean,
0: it's Congo Square and Zulu, right. and you know New Orleans is just rich with a lot of deep black culture. There's black really? culture in other cities, but it was like, for example, Detroit was mostly the black culture was built recently there, really. Right. You right. know, it was all immigrants from the south that mm-hmm. came in the last less than a hundred years right. and built a wonderful culture there. But it was new, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like black culture in New Orleans has some aspects of it that have really deep roots. Right, that are as old as the white culture. Right, you have you know, Saint Augustine Church. You have Tremé, you know, which is 300 right. years
3: old, the oldest black neighborhood in the country. Right. So yeah, there are a I lot mean, of beautiful. The oldest black newspaper in America right. continues newspapers mm-hmm.
0: here. I mean, it just goes on and on and there on. There are a lot of touchstones Only black, in black uh, culture. University here. in America. Yep. Um, you know, th- again and again, just. Mm-hmm all these sort of deep rich institutions and and
3: there's a way here that other cultures white culture vietnamese um that appreciate and participate in black culture and revere it just as you know like so there is a respect and an acknowledgement here and a sharing that you don't see in other cities and so it's really heartwarming it's one of the things that i love of the many things that i love about living here
0: Mardi Gras indians would be another yes, one the baby absolutely. dolls I mean, yes. we, could, we could we could we could spend a 4 hour show just <laughs> listing out absolutely. not even explaining all these things yeah. but like you're like you're alluding to these are also they have their own they have their own aspects where it's their own thing behind closed doors but mm-hmm. then they have a public face to it too right. where they're sharing it with the world right and so you know and the that's analogy very New Orleans. Of, of sororities and fraternities breaks down at that point because mm-hmm. Almost all fraternity and sorority life, at least as I experienced it, is sort of like for yourself, other than maybe your parties, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, for this, it's it's mostly out in the streets and yeah. you know and open t- to the public to be a part of it right. and sort of join and in celebrating yeah.
1: with people, and, right? And not it's not exclusive or right. You know. Right, right. And I mean,
0: that's sort of parading culture in general in that, you, you know, whether it's Mardi Gras cruise or what we're talking about here at Second Lines there, mm-hmm. the members are spending a lot of money and a lot of times they don't have thousands a lot of resources. Of dollars. And they're spending I mean, Mardi Gras yes. Indians are spending thousands, spending thousands of hours and thousands of dollars right. to make costumes and mm-hmm. their people are mostly a pretty humble means to right. to throw a free party for the world right. that's not giving them anything back, but right. just enjoying it. They're getting right. their joy, that's it. Right. And giving their participation. It is. It's the opposite of the Macy's Day parade where it's basically <laughs> a big advertisement that <laughs> right. suck you in, you know. <laughs> right, and, right. You know, and it, and this is this is this is use the, the participants giving of themselves sacrificially to to and and that that spirit
3: of benevolence it really um, is so prevalent in the parade experience itself I mean you've got a thousand people moving in unison this band everybody's Partying and bumping into each other and drinking and smoking and whatnot, and people never squabble with each other over yeah. stepping each. I can't tell you how often right. my feet are stepped on during these parades, but you don't get people beefing about that. You know, you bump into somebody, you touch them, you know, familiarly yeah. or affectionately, and they touch you back, and you just move on. Like, you when know, I go there- back to New York if
0: I'm like, if I'm like, look like I'm about to cut somebody in line <laughs> for a bagel in the morning. I, I think I might get <laughs> get you know, destroyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. right. <laughs> And New Orleans is what you're talking about, yeah. I mean, it's very different. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 it's lovely. Amen. Well, we like to celebrate that while we're here. We're not out of time already, are we?
1: Yes, I, like I we think are, we? P-
0: um, oh, Well, yeah. we have this like internal clock, we can, can just it feel it. That went so fast. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that went <laughs> lightning fast. Wow. Well, um, our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was Colleen Rush of Low and Slow 2 most recently. And a lot of other endeavors, of course, too. And her plus one was Big Red Deb Cotton. Yes. You can find out more about both of our guests by following their links on our website. It's neworleans.com. You want to put in a plug for each one of those while we got you?
2: You can
3: follow me on Twitter at Food Rush. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Red Cotton.
0: Big Red Cotton. (laughs) Cotton, like the fabric. Like the fa- fabric and food rush. Yes. All right.
1: And uh, thanks to Petite Pet Care and the NOLA Brewing Tap Room for the awesome beer this evening.
0: And have we mentioned that the NOLA Brewing Tap Room is open seven days a week? You can come here anytime or you can join us back here next week for another Midnight Menu Plus One.
1: Thank you, Deb, and thank you, Colleen, so much for joining us thank and for uh, inviting us. us. Yeah, it was very fun.
0: And we look forward Thanks. to seeing our listeners again next week or speaking to you. So, till then, I'm Ray Kanata, And I'm
1: Margo Moss.
0: Good night. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potting Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828 Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.